one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 338 for the week of Sunday, September 18th, 2011. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Good evening, Sawyer. It's been a busy week. Can't really wait to dig in on everything we got here. It's going to be fun. Oh, we've got a long laundry list, but we've got a lot of detergent, so we're good to go. <laughs> And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. I won't even try and top that one. It's good to be here, and I'm looking forward to picking up on what I missed this past week. All right, so let's jump into it. We've got a lot that occurred over this last week. The first one is the return of the Soyuz TMA-21, which safely landed at about 12 a.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time, which was about 10 a.m. local time in Kazakhstan on this past Thursday. Now, the crew included Commander Alexander Samakutiev, Andrei Borsenko, and NASA astronaut Ron Garin, who all returned safely after their six-month stay aboard the International Space Station. And as the NASA public affairs officer called it, a bullseye landing, right? Yeah, everything went well. Um, so uh, Ron Garin and, and his crew are, are back home. Uh, this kind of opens the door up, though, for a test of the Soyuz U booster, uh, which unfortunately, as we, we spoke about about a week ago, had, uh, had failed. And I believe that will be the launch of Progress 45 on October 30th. If that launch goes well... Uh, Expedition 29 is scheduled to launch, I believe, Sawyer, on November 14th. Um, yes. if, if that doesn't go well on the 30th, obviously Expedition 29 is delayed, and we're back to square one on, on the booster issue. And that kind of opens up the door to possibly you know, having unpiloted or, or you know, having the ISS in a, in a station-keeping mode without crew on board. And there was a very interesting article on uh, Florida Today. Uh, I believe it was printed out on um, uh, September 15th, uh, saying that NASA risk assessments show that the statistical possibility of losing the International Space Station is uh, 1 in 10 over the course of six months if there's no crew on board to handle any type of emergency that may occur. Um, or onboard failures that might happen. The probability, according to the article uh, by uh, Todd Halverson, uh, skyrockets to one in two if the station is left uninhabited for about a year. 
Now, I'm hoping, um, you know, keeping my fingers crossed that the Soyuz U booster does not encounter any error on, on uh, October 30th, and everybody's happy with the performance of, of the fix that they, they have, and, uh, and Expedition 29 is able to launch a scheduled because uh, that's going to solve a lot of problems, and it's probably going to make a heck of a lot of a lot of people happy happy back here here on Earth, and not and I'm not just talking about the ISS folks either. In the meantime, though, the ISS is currently still manned, though, so that's not a huge problem. Right now, it's Commander Mike Fossum, who's a NASA astronaut, uh, Russian astronaut Sergey Volkov, and Japanese JAXA astronaut Satoshi Furukawa. They're the three that are currently on board now. They were originally scheduled to come back to Earth on November 17th, which they're now currently scheduling for November 22nd, which, if the Soyuz TMA-22 spacecraft carrying the next three astronauts to go up launches on time on November 14th, then that will be fine. If not, November 22nd would be the date where the ISS would go unmanned. Yeah, that, that's basically the drop-dead date, and that's due to the shelf life of the Soyuz. I believe that it has a 200-day um, 200-day shelf life, so to speak, and that has to do with you know, propellants and things like that. So uh, that would essentially be the drop-dead date that uh, that the uh, that particular Soyuz would have to return home. So again, we're keeping our fingers crossed and making sure that uh, the fix that was devised works, and I guess all will be revealed on uh, October 30th. Yeah, it's worth keeping in mind. You think about a date that the uh, the Soyuz capsule has to return. That's a tough neighborhood up there, you know. Harsh, harsh uh, vacuum of space and the temperatures and all of that. Seriously, it's a, uh, it's a place that you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't want to try and engineer anything on your backyard to to successfully operate there and have it work. And Mark, you make a good point there. The other, the other um, thing too is the harsh environment back here on Earth uh, that that the Soyuz has to come back in, and I believe you've got. You know, you're, you're working daylight issues and things like that for the crew to return and and to have the the folks that are going to go out there and recover the crew, you know, operate in a safe environment and the crew to arrive in a safe and you know semi-safe environment at least. So yeah, you you bring up a really good point. <laughs> hey, just for discussion again, I may have missed something here, but I heard there was a communications uh, lapse in with the Soyuz on its return. Was there anything? particular about that anybody's heard here's all i know of currently while they were landing they were having minimal to no communications directly with the soyuz itself through russian mission control however the rescue helicopter that was tracking them was in direct communication with the spacecraft at all time okay so there was no major danger there but and they were still getting telemetry. They were just having difficulty with voice direct to Russian mission control. Okay, that makes me feel a little better. <laughs> yeah, that that was kind of interesting. I tuned in about five to ten minutes before launch, and everyone was talking about that on you know Twitter. And I was slightly confused, but thankfully it was just a minor thing, and the crew safely returned right on target and right on time. Not that I'm a troublemaker, but I know a mission control center in Houston, Texas, that'd be glad to host uh, Russian mission control and doesn't seem to have some of these problems with blackouts and losing data links and stuff like that, because this isn't the first time. Perhaps it is on a landing, but not uh, not overall. But it might be something with the Soyuz itself, so that 
Could be. Yeah. That's yeah. something yeah. that they'll have to look into, obviously. Yeah, and again, keep this in mind. That's our only ride to the ISS for for at least the foreseeable future. Which, um, uh, which we should talk about the other big story this week, right, Sawyer? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to mention, which is an interesting thing, is that currently the only way to get to the International Space Station is aboard the Russian Soyuz. NASA has stated that they will give low-Earth orbit to commercial entities as they tend to go beyond. How is NASA going to get beyond low-Earth orbit and onto whatever destination it may choose? Moon, Mars, an asteroid. How, you ask? Well, NASA just recently announced that this past Wednesday, with their announcement and official presentation of the new Space Launch System, or SLS, and... It surprised many people, including myself, what we got. And what we got was a combination of technologies from Apollo and Shuttle. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. In fact, the Twitter was a little bit of a buzz, no pun intended, or all Twitter, no no real no pun and really no pun intended on it. Um about this whole thing. And to a lot of people, the the new space launch system kind of looked like a retread between uh, shuttle and, and, and Saturn V technologies. Um, with all due respect to those folks, uh, you know, I, I can understand from on the outset that it kind of looks like a odd version of the Ares V that kind of got together with a Saturn. But um, th- from what Bill Gerstemeyer was saying during the, uh, the recorded press conference, um, or should I say the audio press conference that I was able to sit in on, uh, was that uh, they are using these technologies in a far different way than uh, even Ares. I believe Ares had a, had a larger diameter. The core was larger slightly um, or around than um, the SLS is. The SLS is about the same diameter, I believe, of the, uh, of the shuttle uh, external tank or at least the core is, um, they don't expect this thing to take flight until 20, 2017, I believe, is the first projected test flight. But again, I, I, I'm hearing from, from uh, again, this is Bill Gerstenmeier saying this, that's a hard date. They want to fly this thing on, at, on 2017. They're expecting piloted flights somewhere around 2021. Um, which again is raising a lot of eyebrows, saying, "Wow, you know, w- you know, when was the last launch for STS-135? It was just, you know, we're talking about a ten, almost a ten-year span, pretty much, between STS-135 and the piloted SLS launch. And I believe that the interesting with, part about the SLS thing, though, is I believe it's coming in two flavors, sort of like what the Saturns came in. You had the Saturn One and One B." And then finally, the uh, the Saturn V. This thing too has also two flavors: one a one a uh, one vehicle which I believe has a 70 metric ton um, up mass capability, uh, and another vehicle which has a 130 metric ton up mass capability. If you think about it, that's that's kind of big. Which, by the way, is about enough to lift 75 sport utility vehicles. Yeah, I mean the thing is about th- 30 stories tall. Um, it's going to still rely on five uh, space shuttle main engines. Uh, that's the uh, 
Um, that, that's the 100, 143 ton version. Um, and uh, uh, I believe, too, it will have a variety of uh, strap-on boosters. It will use, I believe, the uh, shuttle SRB um, strap-ons for the uh, for the tests, but there is going to be a separate uh, call for uh, you know a separate RFP or request for proposal from uh, industry to go ahead and build uh, different uh, strap-on boosters for that, including liquid uh, strap-on boosters for this particular vehicle. And this is what confused and scared me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Is that to begin with, they're going to be using the space shuttles, you know. Solid rocket boosters using solid fuel and and add-on, which to me seemed like a compromise, which I don't know if how, how safe that is. If they're just taking them and we're just going to say, oh, we're going to use these and we can exchange them, which to me just doesn't feel safe. Just, oh, we have these, we could throw them on. That's like saying, oh, I have this car battery, I could throw it in my car. Don't know if it's dead or not. To be honest with you, it, it's just scary. And I understand that it's trying to create competition amongst other people to help design other boosters as time goes by. But it, it just scared me when I first heard that. Uh, how, in what manner? Cause, I mean, okay, fine. The, the SRBs have failed once, and that was in 1986 with uh, STS-51L. But since then, they've been improved. They've been operated. Uh, why, was it, why was it scary? Just the way that they announced it, it seemed almost like a compromise. Well, in a, in a way, it is because you're talking about a finite budget. I mean, the development for this is going to be is going to be three billion dollars per year, which is the exact number, by the way, that uh, the shuttle needed to uh, for its operations. So that's where that three billion dollars is going to go. It's going to go toward the development of this particular vehicle. But I think overall, they're talking about, and I've I, 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 somebody during the, the the audio conference tried to pin. Uh, Bill Gerstenmeier down on on the exact price tag of this. I've heard about $35 billion total development over a period of time. Um, Bill Gerstenmeier was saying he didn't think it was right now appropriate to to talk about the the full cost because I I don't think they were really, really prepared to go ahead and and talk about total cost at that that point. so he was again. He was getting a lot of he was getting a lot of uh, a lot of pressure to, to to get a to get a number out there during the press conference, which I I don't know. I, if you're not prepped, don't you know? Don't push the issue. The man obviously didn't really have that that figure in front of him. So, um, <clears throat> but uh, the interesting thing about all this, there was a before that audio conference, there was an announcement that I think Bill Nelson or uh, Senator Bill Nelson and Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson. Uh, made a, a joint announcement uh, along with some other members of the uh, of the, the uh, Senate and uh, House Appropriations Committee for for Science and Technology, and um, Kay Bailey Hutchinson basically felt that uh, they had to go ahead and announce this because some within uh, in the the executive branch were trying to actually sabotage the numbers. To make it sound more expensive than it actually really was, so the whole thing would just be voted down. So I'm kind of really wondering if that was the motivation between, because because this, this announcement came right out of the blue. I mean, Sawyer, you, you said it yourself. You, the 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 uh, announcement didn't show up in in our you know our press mailboxes until about what about 8:45 in the morning 
eight thirty in the morning, something like that. And it was that morning that that there was no advanced announcement. It was like here it is, boom. So it was a busy Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, but, we're talking about the email went out to us. Yeah. At about eight forty three a.m., while the official email announcement came out at ten eleven a.m. So the yeah. one for the press opportunity came out at eight forty three. Yeah. The this the official one was released after the discussion that they had, and that was at ten eleven a.m. Eastern time, an hour and a half later. So they gave media about a little over an hour notice of this, which <laughs> let's just say it had all of us scrambling that morning. Yeah, it had me. It had all of us because you know we were trying to get get our our act together here and how, how we were, we were going to deal with it, but um, it, it just. I'm kind of wondering is NASA usually puts these things out, you know, kind of in advance or a couple of days in advance. This thing was that morning. Right. Usually so it's I'm, 24 to 48 hours in advance is when we get our press releases. Yeah, right. This one was that morning. So I'm kind of wondering if there was somebody out there in the executive branch or somewhere around there that was really, really heavy duty in, into this COTS program. And and felt that that was the lone way to go, and was going to try to go ahead and sabotage this this thing from within, and that's what caused you know the whole thing to be rushed. So, again, this is speculation on my part. We're never really going to know really what happened behind the scenes until somebody writes a memoir at some point. But um, I, I really thought it was very interesting the way this whole thing was handled. It was very, very quick and very, very rapid. And, man, do I have a lot of questions as, as, as to why that that was. But, you know, it's I guess right now it's neither here nor there. Uh, a lot of people are still trying to say that um, this is probably still the wrong way to go because, again, we don't have a per- a goal here. Um, you know, we we may go to an asteroid, we may go to go to Phobos, we may do this, that, or the other thing. We still don't know. We're building this thing, and we still don't know what we're going to do with it, which kind of makes me. You know that that's that's the part that scares me a little bit. And today, uh, I don't know if anybody was monitoring um, the uh, the event that uh, uh, ESA and uh, DLR, the the German uh, space agency, uh, put put together. Uh, they put together a nice little tweet up today. Um, and hats off to them because I've been I was watching it from from afar and gosh darn it they really did a good job. But uh, Thomas Reiter, who's uh, uh, a uh, European astronaut basically said during his little discussion today that you know he would you know he feels that Europe could participate in what NASA is doing with the, their their exploration program, but you know we have to figure out what we're going to do first, and that's what they seem to be waiting for. There's, they seem to be waiting for us to say the definitive announcement, saying, "Yeah, we're going to shoot for an asteroid." Yeah, we're going to shoot for Phobos, and that's when they think they can really, really make, make a difference. So even even Europe is waiting for for us to make a decision as to where we're going. Um, Which, Gene, I don't know if you remember, but uh, during the STS-135 media events, there was one event where we got to see the MPCV, the multi-purpose right. crew vehicle known as right. Orion. Right. And there was one person that asked that question. You know, what can Europe do to help with Orion and the space launch system? Right. And they kind of worked their way around to giving the most generic answer possible. 
Right, and I think they, you know, uh, Ryder again, Thomas Ryder here was 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 giving the same, basically the, putting the same question forward. Um, also, uh, I, I got into some com- conversation with somebody on uh, on Twitter. I'm not going to mention who. That was sort of well, saying that yeah, this is kind of like a retread this booster, and you know, it's I I thought yeah, but maybe this is what we should have done with the Saturn. You know where where we didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater like we did with the Saturn V, where we just threw the whole thing out. Um, we're taking technologies that we kind of sort of have the warm fuzzies with, and we're basically building upon them. Um, somebody said, "Yeah, if you look at the Saturn today, there are some things that they did back in the '60s that you wouldn't want to do, really wouldn't want to duplicate today." Um, we didn't go into a lot of specifics, but you know that was that was one thing. The other one I, I thought, and I'm I'm not going to mention who. Um, we had a discussion about, and it was it was sort of like second guessing some of the folks saying that, yeah, why would you want to go ahead and do the first test of this thing unmanned because it looks like you've got already a mature system. You know, you're dealing with mature technologies. Maybe you might want to want to think about putting a a pilot up up on there and 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 the multi-purpose crew vehicle up on up on there and saying okay fine the first thing is 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 all set and ready to go if you think back to sds1 that was a pretty gutsy move nobody had ever flown that thing before um that would be a a, a pretty gutsy move here too to do that but why would you want to do it when you're really do, dealing with some things that you don't really fully understand. Yes, you're dealing with some mature technologies. Yes, you're dealing with um, uh, you know stuff that we've used before, but you're using it in a different way here. The configuration is very different from the shuttle, um, where you have you know the the uh, uh, crew sitting on top of the vehicle, much the same way you would the Saturn. So again, there's launch escape possibilities and what have you. Um, so there, there is a crew safety safety thing there, but uh, even the Saturn flew um, unpiloted on its on, on its first flight, and there were uncovered problems there too. So you know, I don't know if I'd want to be the first person to fly this untested vehicle the first time out. So I think they're playing it close to the vest. I think they're playing it smart, and we'll just have to. I have to wait and see what what uh, what happens on uh, you know as 2017 rolls closer and the development of this thing rolls clo- closer. The good news on this is that it did pass the Senate Appropriations Committee. The NASA budget for 18 billion dollars did go through the Appropriations Committee this week, so that includes the money for the SLS, or at least the development money. Um, so it did get through through. Through committee, but now it's got to go to full Senate, and there too, I think it might have a uh, a hard time given given the, the economic constraints. But if you look at it, it's it's really a lateral move. It's taking the money that you would be using to uh, to keep the shuttle program sustained and going, and using that three billion dollars to um, to develop the new booster. So. Yeah, you know, it's you've taken the shuttle completely off the table and using it for this. So I I don't see the problem. Uh, however, um, you know there there's still opponents out there. There's still opponents calling this like the Senate launch system and all this. 
and and I think I think this also got brought up at the press conference too. How are you going to sell this thing uh, to the public when we don't even know what we're going to use it for yet? We, the Saturn V had a designated use. It was to get you know the whole Apollo stack to the moon. Here we haven't articulated what the purpose of, of it is yet. And when you've got that problem, you got a hard sell to John and Jane Q Citizen as to why they should go ahead and spend the money on this thing when they don't know what you're going to do with it. So I, I think you know, and I think Bill Gerstenmeier did bring this up. They are looking at asteroids. They are looking at if if, if an asteroid is what their target is, they are going to go ahead and and they're they're sort of scouting to see which ones are are possible and. And so on for for a human to go ahead and and, and dock with. If you recall uh, Rusty Schweikert's conversation that uh, we had with him here on this program, you don't really land on an asteroid. You kind of dock with it, and you don't really go out there and plant the flag and do all this. You basically go out there and try to grab samples, or you know, you go off and do EVA. You don't don't really you know set foot and do all this stuff like you would um, would on 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 an Apollo mission. So. Um, they are looking at candidates for an asteroid. They are looking at Phobos or, or, and eventually a Mars shot. But again, how about telling us what you're going to do? You know, I'm, I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but what are you going to do with this, this beast once you build it? And also, oh, I've, got a, I've got an answer. You buy me a shiny new car and tell me you're buying the gas, I'm going to take off on a road trip. I'm going to go find some place to go whether I need to go there or not just for the darn heck of it. And that's all this amounts to. And I'll throw my opinion in real quick, and then I'll shut up. But the, <laughs> SL, the SLS will never fly with crew. I'd be surprised if it even flies a test launch. Period. Wow. Um, you've I that that's a big that's a big one, Mark. <laughs> and in comes the hatery emails. Oh boy, yeah, here it comes. But um, I, I I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. I'm I'm in a I'm in a waiting I'm in a wait and see mode. I've I'm I'm cautiously optimistic on this one. Again, as as I've told a few people that that I talked about this you know about uh, this whole situation. We were we were speaking through Twitter. I said uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. But we've been to this rodeo before. I mentioned the Space Exploration Initiative. I mentioned Venture Star, which was supposed to be the replacement for the shuttle that Lockheed Martin was going to build. That got killed. I mentioned the HL-20, which got killed, which has now been reincarnated as the Dream Chaser by Sierra Nevada. Um, I mentioned Constellation. Um, you know, so I've we've been to this rodeo before. I'm cautiously optimistic, but we'll just have to wait and see. I'm going to have to partially agree with each of you on this. I agree that I am cautiously optimistic. I do think we're going to get something out of it. I have a feeling we may have something similar to the Ares that we originally had, where the Ares 1X launched on its test flight. 1Y and 1Z never ever happened. Got canceled before that. I'm expecting that we may see something come to fruition out of it. I mean, there's already launch escape systems. There's already a capsule. So my thought is that something will happen. They will do tests of it, but I'm not expecting it to go beyond low Earth orbit, if even that far. I'm trying not to dive into the realm of politics here. But we do have a change. You know, we we do have a potential change of administration coming. 
um, I just see this sort of languishing until the the presidential election gets sorted out and we find out who's in the White House, and we'll just have to see what 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 happens because that individual is going to have to make the key decisions as what as to what we're doing. And uh, uh, again, I'm I'm in a I'm in a, a cautiously optimistic mode. <clears throat> well, when our show turns eight years old, we'll figure out. <laughs> In 2017, we'll figure out what ends up happening. I and plan we'll, on being there. And we'll look back on this recording, and we'll play a clip of it and say, this is what we said, and this is what happened. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'm not sure gonna... what's, I don't know which clip we're going to play, that it went or that it didn't, but we'll find out. <laughs> and if I can just state one thing, just looking at the vehicle, it has the solid rocket boosters on it resembling the shuttle. It's got part of the shuttle tank in it. But the way that they have it painted, and the way that they have it designed, it looks like the Saturn V. And this confused me a lot. I'll post some pictures of this in the show notes so you can see it. NASA released some sketches of what it should look like. Yeah, they also re- released, sir, I think, a video. They uh, did, of what a, about a one-minute so animation. Yeah, so maybe we want to put that up there, too. And I think, by the way, that was done deliberately. On the uh, part of the animator and on the part of the uh, the, the illustrator, on that um, to go ahead and harken back that because this thing is about it's about it's much taller than the Saturn. The, the I, I mean it's it's taller it's obviously taller than the Statue of Liberty from what I heard at least the 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 143 ton version um, is is taller than than the Saturn was. So uh, again, this and, and as Gerstenmeier said, as, as as Bill Gerstenmeier said, this is probably it's fair to say that this is more powerful than than Energia and the the Russian built booster that was designed to build designed to take uh, Baran up, and uh, so it's safe to really say that this is probably the most powerful booster that that we will that we will ever build at this point. Um, the one so. thing that I did intend to say, though, was something that I basically tweeted out as well, is that just looking at the design of it, it, it looks as if uh, a Saturn V and a shuttle had a child, and <laughs> the result was the SLS. It, it's just, again, you'll you'll have to see the pictures and possibly the video in the show notes, and ju- just think for yourself what this vehicle actually looks like. Yeah. Again, I th- actually I think um, uh, Robert Perlman um, mentioned that during the audio press conference and saying that he had seen some, you know, Twitter traffic and saying that 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 so far has been the reaction. But uh, again, this is I think this is far from a retread. I think they're using some technologies in a different different way, um, and they're building on things that we've learned from the shuttle program. So. Uh, you know, yeah, we're we're recycling some of the shuttle main engines. They're going to be doing some. You know, they're going to have to. These old dogs are going to have to learn some new tricks. Uh, and again, as time went on, they upgraded those engines, so they're not the same engines that we flew back in in 1981 when when Columbia first flew. So you know, uh, again, we're dealing with we're building on what we've learned. And I think that's a good thing because we're not totally throwing the baby out with the bathwater like we did with the Saturn. So I, I hope we've learned our, our lesson from that. 
Well, we'll just have to wait and see and find out what we think is going to happen. And, of course, we always want to hear what you think is going to happen, too. You know, you can always send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can send them by email to mailbag at TalkingSpaceOnline.com. Mention us on Twitter as at TalkingSpace or post it on our wall on Facebook, which is Facebook.com slash TalkingSpace. Or if you stick your head out the window and yell real loud, are you guys nuts? I'll <laughs> hear you with that. <laughs> Oh, I, I already heard that from a lot of people as we made our comments about what we think is going to happen. So. Oh man, yeah, I, I could. I'm, I'm just waiting this to to read the email. I really am because we're we're going to hear it. I know for sure. <laughs> but we're ready to take it. Oh yeah. And let's dish it out now with a different story, though. So we talked a little bit about NASA's launch vehicle, and more of these private companies are starting to get throw their hat in the ring. We've mentioned Sierra Nevada with their Dream Chaser, and another one is now in, and that is ATK, formerly Morton Thaikol, who made the Space Shuttle Solid Rocket Boosters, is now designing their own rocket, the Liberty Rocket, right? Yeah, Liberty's been around for a while, actually, but it just hasn't been, been getting a lot of love out there. Um, today, this past week, uh, there was an announcement made that NASA is indeed interested in... in uh, going ahead and and taking a look at Liberty and and really really trying to to bolster that uh, that outfit. But the interesting thing about the Liberty is that it is based on the old Ares One booster, uh, but instead of using um, the the upper second you know the second stage on there, it's actually that that second stage is built by uh, by Astrium the. Uh, um, uh, the European uh, uh, rocket builder, and that is the same upper stage I believe Ariane 5 uses. So it's sort of a marriage between, you know, the the old Ares Ares 1 and and the Ariane 5. Uh, it, it's so again this this means that there's another option out there for CC Dev. There's another option out there for individuals who want to launch commercial crew using this booster um, I think you're, you're dealing with again two mature technologies the Ariane 5 upper stage has been around for you know for for many years the uh, SRBs have been also around their mature technologies so again this offers um, you know folks like uh, um, Oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe Boeing, who's who's looking at maybe the, using this, leveraging this for the CST-100, or uh, just if if you are a uh, a satellite provider looking for a ride, this 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 could be a, a viable option for you. The one thing that does have to be stressed here, though, is that this is not NASA and ATK. However, NASA will in fact send some of its employees to work full-time on the project, but it is not an actual NASA rocket. No, it's not. It, it, again, this is part of the, uh, um, this is part of COTS. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's again using off-the-shelf technologies, technologies that are mature, but again, this is not a NASA rocket. This is taking the, a, this is taking the idea behind the Ares 1 and you know, kind of leveraging what you learned from that program. So you know, I'm 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 itching to get somebody uh, from 
uh, ATK on here to talk a little bit about the Liberty. So I'll, I'll have to go ahead and contact them and see if uh, somebody wouldn't mind uh, taking us up on an invite to, to come and talk. And uh, this isn't the only commercial news here, too, right, Sawyer? I believe uh, uh, SpaceX is saying that, that possibly because of the um, issues Russia's having, that this is going to have an impact on, on them. Exactly. The SpaceX, with its Falcon 9, they were having a minor engine issue, but that will be resolved before the next test flight. However, when is that next test flight is what is unclear at the moment. Because with the August 24th failure of the Russian Soyuz rocket, this can possibly cause a delay. So their launch date, which was currently scheduled for November, will now be pushed back, as I just said, to an undetermined time as they are going to at least wait until the second of two manned Soyuz launches delivers its astronauts to the station. Because, you know why, Gene? Yeah, I believe they're they're hoping that they would have a trained crew that would go ahead and be able to pluck the dragon out of the sky and and dock it. As for folks who don't know this, um, the dragon itself doesn't you know actually physically dock with the International Space Station. Dragon will approach, rendezvous, but it will hold. It will go into a, a station keeping mode while uh, an, an astronaut will go ahead and grab use the robotic arm to attach it to the dragon and then pull it into uh, pull it into dock much the same way you know one would use like say the multi-purpose crew vehicle they'd pluck it out of the shuttle cargo bay and then attach it to the ISS same thing here so you'd want to go ahead and make sure that you had somebody that you know knew where to attach uh, the grapple fixture of uh, Canada arm to to the um, to the dragon and then pull it forward and I believe that crew on Expedition 29 is trained to do that, whereas the crew that's up there right now is not. Um, however, you know Mike Fossum is a very, very accomplished uh, astronaut. He's, you know, flown the arm before. So, you know, in theory, if they really had to, I'm sure Mike could go ahead and, and perform that that duty. Um, but I guess they just want to make sure on this first one that nothing goes wrong. And they have the proper crew in place to go ahead and and, and deal with with uh, with dragons. So that's that is really the, the reason. I believe Sawyer the launch date that that I heard was just after uh, the Mars Science Laboratory launched, and I think that was going to be November 30th. But again, that is all predicated on the Soyuz uh, U booster having good performance on October 30th. And having um, you know uh, the crew of of uh, Expedition 29 launch on time. So, which if it if they go by what SpaceX is currently uh, stating, then it will not because this was by SpaceX President Gwynne Shotwell, and they said that the launch cannot occur quote before the second of the two manned Soyuz launches delivers its astronauts to the station. And that second launch, according to Spaceflight Now, is not scheduled until December. The first one is scheduled now for November. The second one, carrying the rest of the Expedition 30 and 31 crew, would be in December. Yeah, so obviously you've got a delay, you know, at least a month until, you know, the next half of Expedition 29 can come up. So, um, 
uh, again, I, I don't in, – in, in the broader scheme of things, I know SpaceX wants to get this particular test out of the way because, again, it's a test of concept. It's, it, it's to make sure that we can get cargo to the ISS. Um, I'd like to see it happen too because, again, it, SpaceX is ready to put their money where, where their mouth is. They want to make sure that their systems work. Um, and again, that we would have something viable to other than progress to rely on um, to get uh, supplies up to the ISS. Now, again, we still have the the, the uh, European ATV, the uh, uh, JAXA or J- no, Japan's uh, HTV to get supplies up to the ISS. But again, Dragon would give us a little bit more flexibility and another mode to get supplies up to the International Space Station. And if that works out, they would be well on the road at least to possibly later on down the line making sure that they can get crew up to the ISS. But that I don't think they're planning on for, until at least 2017. And that's not NASA's numbers. That's not my numbers. That's SpaceX's numbers. So we'll have to go ahead and just th- – this is a stepping stone to that, mind you. But you know, we still have a, a long way to go before we get you know crew on board. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. And that will be interesting to see when they launch and how successful it is. And obviously we'll be talking about that when it occurs. Okay, so let's continue on with the story that we discussed a little bit about last week. And that is the UR satellite, the UARS, which we announced would be scheduled to land somewhere between 57 degrees north latitude and 57 degrees south latitude, which is in fact from North America down to South America. So if you're in Canada all the way down to Chile, you're in trouble. <laughs> no, I'm not yeah, kidding. I mean, you're that, not totally in trouble. hemisphere, Sawyer. I mean, please. Yeah, in which I saw the most useless BBC graphic in the world, which, in, which encapsulated in a graphic where it could possibly land. Almost the entire world was covered in red. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so this thing will not... Come crashing down on your house, most likely. However, you may be able to see it. When is it scheduled to come down was a big question, and the date now is looking like? Yeah, it looks like it's going to be just in time for my birthday, Sawyer. They're they're looking at uh, the upper atmosphere research satellite, again, launched from from Shuttle Discovery back in 1991 to reenter around September 24th. Give or take a day. Now, again, they don't know exactly where this thing is going to land. Um, and again, just to, to sort of recap a little bit, uh, when this thing was deployed by Shuttle Discovery, it fit the entire cargo bay. So that's about as big as a you know, it's it's, it's huge. Um, we're, we're talking to you know something as big as big as a, a, as a school bus. Um, it. Uh, it 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 has I, I believe I forget how much it weighs, but it's it is it is a big beast. Um, they're talking about possibly 26 pieces somehow, you know, surviving reentry, and uh, uh, we don't we still don't know how where that footprint's going to be. Um, I mean, this is this is the biggest thing to reenter. Uh, Earth's atmosphere that we've built since I guess I, I guess since Mir reentered. So um, you know everybody in uh, in in this side of the hemisphere heads up around uh, the end of the week this week. Uh, hopefully, if 
the reentry time uh, is is good, and we know pretty much where this thing's going to land. Unfortunately, we're probably not going to know uh, the, the a possible footprint for you know until about two hours prior to reentry. Um, it, if it lands at the right time or if it comes in at the right time, we might be able to see it depending on where you live. So um, it, it could be a very interesting um, view from a you know from an astronomer's point of view or from a uh, just from a uh, an interesting show from a you know from a naked eye point of view. But uh, it, where this thing is going to land, who knows? Uh, is don't expect a piece of piece of this thing to come crashing through your roof or anything like that the odds are i believe one in uh, 3200 uh that uh the uh the debris will land somewhere on the planet as just a recap a little bit and uh but uh, again we'll just have to keep our fingers crossed and keep our heads down and and hopefully this has a happy ending where it lands somewhere in the atlantic and doesn't bother anybody but a bunch of fish uh, we did talk a little bit about this on a, on a prior episode. If you check out episode uh, 337 um, with the two guests we had on, uh, Dr. Lucy Rogers and Franz Geil, um, both are, are doing some work in the area of space debris. And I did ask you know, uh, 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 Franz about this problem. And again, he said this is a, an issue where uh, we, did, we weren't thinking you know, when we put this together. Because today, I believe, prior to uh, uh, after 1995, um, satellites are designed. Well, there's a there's a there's a design point where they 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 call it design to demise, where um, uh, as as a satellite reenters, it's literally designed to have nothing survive that reentry and just have the whole thing just burn up. Um, we did not have that in place when URS was launched back in 1991, so. Um, it should be kind of interesting to see what, what happens with the footprint on this. But again, um, stay tuned, stand by, watch. Uh, I, I know the, the military is tracking this. NASA will probably have updates on their site as well. So if you're in the uh, the uh, this part of the hemisphere, you know, anywhere in uh, North America or South America or, or anywhere in, in the Western Hemisphere, keep an eye out because there you might be in for a good light show if this comes in um, during the night hours. So you know, keep an eye out. Exactly. And Gene, what better birthday candle could you wish for than one falling out of the sky? <laughs> thank you, Sawyer. Don't thank me. Thank NASA. <laughs> Thanks. Anyway, continuing on to a very interesting discovery made by the Kepler spacecraft, which is meant to observe possible planets further out in the universe that could possibly harbor life or just to discover planets as well. And, if I can quote Weird Al Yankovic, we all wound up on Tatooine. That's where we found this boy from one of his songs. But we may not find this boy, but we did find a planet similar to Tatooine. Yeah, but uh, unlike the uh, fictional Star Wars uh, place that uh, George Lucas envisioned, Kepler-16b is uh, not going to go ahead and, and host 
a lot of heroes or anything like that. Um, according to an article I'm looking at here on the on the Washington Post uh, issued uh, on also on September 15th, uh, Kepler's 16b is roughly the size of of Saturn. Um, the planet really doesn't have a lot of surface. Instead, of, it's just icy. So you're not going to be standing in the desert looking out at these two lovely, you know, suns setting as, you know, in this sort of quasi-romantic way that, that Luke Skywalker looked at it. You're probably going to be sitting. You're probably going to be standing there in a parka and and all kinds of winter gear, you know, freezing your your you know butt off. Uh, looking at this, so, but it, it it's an interesting little sidebar, um, and it made uh, for some kind of interesting little little news news on uh, out there, and it made for some buzz. So anything that gave uh, Kepler and uh, the Kepler mission and what what it's what it's doing, which is looking for ex- uh, extrasolar planets, um, then if it got the message out, then hey, fine. <laughs> exactly, and. It's still a, a one planet, two suns. Yeah, it's it's still that kind of a cool picture. Sounds awesome, or like a setup for a new reality TV show. <laughs> right? I'm just not gonna go there. I am just not gonna go. <laughs> I'm glad I entertained myself then, at least. And this was a uh, collaborative effort. Kepler, of course, clued us in to the possibility and and what they were seeing, but some additional information came from a observatory in Arizona with a Tillinghast reflector, a shell spectrograph on a 60-inch telescope there that uh, gave him some more information on the sizes and masses of it. So it takes collaboration. takes uh, takes a lot of smart people and a lot of, a lot of equipment that costs money to, to find these discoveries. And I think it's interesting to hear some fun stuff, even though they're kind of stretching it as far as the, the uh, comparison to the, the Star Wars planet. I think they're doing that just to go ahead and get folks interested, and yeah. But, but if but you know you should still be interested in, in this anyway because number one it's cool, <laughs> it, it it's also teaching you too a little bit about about the place you live on too. So um, if you see something a little different out there, you can relate it back to to live, living back here and kind of really really thank you lucky lucky stars no pun intended that you do live live on a planet that just seems to be perfectly situated you know from the distance of the sun and is 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 just you know teeming with life as opposed to uh living on 16b which is just an icy world so ah the loveliness of the feature known as the goldilocks effect not too (laughs) far not too close to our star but just right yep anyway let's continue on to something that we intentionally neglected last week because we figured that other things deserved the priority over it. And that was a little something that began on September 9th, 2009. 09, 09, 09 was the date. Anybody here know what that was? Yeah, that's, that marked this program's two-year anniversary of, of existence there, Sawyer. Uh, Talking neglect- Space is two years old already. Wow. We've been yeah. doing this for two years now? Yes. <laughs> I'm pinching myself too actually. Um we we didn't want to mention mention that and sort of like blow our own horn on the September 11th show for obvious reasons. 
that being the anniversary of just a, a horrible day in this country's history, we just kind of felt that it just wasn't wasn't appropriate to do so. So I figured we would postpone it and kind of sort of do that this week. Um, it, this whole thing came about because of a whole bunch of things. It, it, it had come about – I thought of the, about the idea about maybe uh, coming up about maybe seven years ago, but just didn't have the wherewithal to go ahead and, and really, really give it what it needed. I didn't have the voices that I needed. And um, after attending you know, things like NASA Tweet Up and having a, 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 a several late-night conversations um, – it was just time to go ahead and stick my neck out and just say, okay, um, let's see what we can do to get uh, more attention to our space program out there. And somebody I don't think I can mention, but she is a flight controller over at uh, in Houston, uh, now servicing the, the International Space Station and making sure it's, it's healthy, uh, formerly with the shuttle. Uh, she was the one who basically posted the... Um, the announcement up on Jen Shear's uh, Space Tweep Society website that I was looking to start a podcast, and if anybody was interested, contact me. Um, lo and behold, I had three people eventually answer the call, three people that uh, over the past two years I've learned to respect immensely, uh, their talents, their abilities, and uh, two of which are, are here, t- here with me today. Uh, the other is uh, enjoying herself and uh, with her family on a on a well-deserved vacation. Um, but again, I, I I couldn't put this together without without this this wonderful team here, and uh, I'm I'm looking forward to the future. If you look at what we've been able to accomplish in the past two years, you told me we were going to be able to do the things that we've done these past two years. Um, I I would have laughed. Uh, it has just been an eye opener. Um, but above all, I want to thank each and every one of you that decide to go ahead and put this on your your iPod, your MP3 player, your computer, um, and just just download us uh, every week and listen to us. Because without you, this program doesn't exist. And uh, because of your support and because of everybody telling me, keep it up, keep it going, um, we're going to move on and we're going to continue doing this un- until you folks decide that we, you just don't want to listen to us anymore. So, um, again, I thank each and every one of you that download this thing uh, from the bottom of my heart. And we will continue to go ahead and do this. Uh, we, we, we will have some changes uh, they are coming, um, uh, and uh, we'll go ahead and announce those changes as they come along. Um, but again, uh, again, thank you ever so much uh, for making this the success that it has been. And also, I want to thank Astronomy FM for going ahead and deciding that we are were worthy enough to go ahead and uh, uh, place on uh, onto their network. And of their offerings, and they've got a lot of good stuff that they they broadcast on a daily basis. And so, I would encourage uh, those of you who, who aren't familiar with Astronomy FM to take a look at them and and uh, and enjoy uh, the programming that's over there. Um, but again, thank you from the bottom of my heart, Mark and, and Sawyer and Gina. If you're listening, thank you too. 
And another individual I really want to give a shout out to is uh, – I don't know if I'm permitted to say her full name, but I will give her Twitter address that is uh, at Craftlash. She's gone ahead and done some interviews for us when she was at the uh, STS-133 tweet up with a whole bunch of other uh, uh, participants in that, and she really did a grand old job for us. So again, I want to reach out to her and say thanks. And hopefully uh, she'll go ahead and help us out again in the not-too-distant future. I kind of in the past have referred to her as our fifth Beatle, and she kind of like you know gets a good chuckle out of that. But uh, again, uh, thanks so much for her assistance. And one person um, I do want to reach out to uh, and say a really quick thank you um, <clears throat> is actually two people. Uh, one to uh, to Beth Beck over at NASA. She was one who really, really gave me a heck of a lot of encouragement and uh, actually gave me a huge hug when I, I, I saw her at 135. She said, oh, you're all grown up now. So <laughs> I, I kind of appreciated that one. But uh, um, I, I, she's, she's been an inspiration, and she's kind of helped me to, to, to keep going and, and get NASA's story out there, and that's basically what we're also trying to do here. And another individual that's given me a lot of encouragement, again, Dr. Lucy Rogers, uh, who's you know kind of been sort of pushing me along and making sure that I I, I stick to what I, I want to plan for the for the program and and uh, has been a source of real really great encouragement. So again, thank thank you for for everything, and and above all, thank you for for those to those of you that have downloaded and had some really good commentary. You know who you are, so thank you so much. But uh, there's a bunch of other people, too, that I have to say thank you for just all the encouragement, especially when when things just weren't going right. So, again, thank you immensely, everyone. Who would have thought that we would have – I mean we started off with about five listeners, the four of us and maybe one other person, probably a family <laughs> yeah. member of ours. I think that fifth listen was my late rabbit, Oliver. I'm not sure. Or my mother, one of the two. <laughs> But still, we went from about five to thousands, and who would have thought that we would have been able to go to all of these events as an accredited media source with the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, with NASA, including the final ever space shuttle launch, and have the privilege of broadcasting via the internet and by actual radio, thank you to everybody at Astronomy FM, to over two hundred thousand people if you would have told me that two hundred thousand people would be listening to my voice uh, through the internet and through regular radio around the world while i was sitting in florida watching a space shuttle launch i would have told them go to a mental asylum you're crazy But I have to, Mark. I have to thank you. You were the one who who basically put the put the engineering to that of all of that together on site. You and 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 your lovely wife Mary were, were the ones that really really put that together. So without you and 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 Mary and and the hard work that you put in to to make that all happen, so we can talk to the folks over at Astronomy FM and thus the world, that never would have happened. So, Mark, you know, again, hats off to you and to Mary, and 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 just, you know, thank you so much. It's all good. Let's do some more. Yeah, I, that's yeah. what I'm looking forward to. But, I not, mean, you, but not today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Mark, on that, for that one broadcast, 
I saw you come into the press center sweating like a dog after being outside for six straight hours with complete and total frustration on your face from trying to get audio just so we could have a couple-hour broadcast. And thank you so much for that, you and Mary, for everything that went along with that. Again, who'd have thought? Yeah. You're, you're welcome. Uh, every bit of it's been a good time. Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I'm just wondering what the future is going to hold. So we'll, we'll see. I do have some plans. Uh, that I will announce here slowly and surely. Uh, we do have one thing I'm going to announce right now uh, in the works, so look out for it. It is called the Talking Space Briefing. It will be a, essentially a three-minute essay type thing uh, that we'll be having on a semi-daily basis. Um, the members of the team would be more than happy to go ahead and and uh, write you know some sort of essay and verbally give it, and, and we'll put it on out there. But again, that, that's something that, that that's waiting in, in the wings right now, our, our first sort of mini-venture here. Um, stay tuned. We'll give you more details on it as, uh, as uh, we're about ready to launch. But again, I cannot do this show without you know, uh, all f- you know, the, the, the two of you, Sawyer and, and Mark. You, Sawyer, you're, you, are an engin- you are the engineer extraordinaire. I couldn't have asked for better. Uh, Mark, again, you've you've carried us through thick and thin over at, over at the Kennedy Space Center, um, and Gina has had some really good contacts and and brought some really good interviews and and talent here, and you know hats off to her. She's on here, unfortunately, to hear this. I hope she'll she'll go ahead and download this episode and hear it. But uh, again, all of you, I could the show doesn't happen without all your hard work. So again, thanks. We thank everybody who's ever been a part of the show from getting it started to the four of us who make it run every day and every week and get it out to you guys and especially you guys, the listeners, who take the time to download this show and listen to it. And because of that, that is why we are here. And we can't thank you enough for that. And we will continue to do this for you guys. That's the reason we do it. And I would be remiss if I didn't thank uh, Todd Cecilio and Russ Dale. Um, Russ is our announcer here, and he did. he's a, a professional announcer out on the uh, – uh, uh, I believe his, his, he's based out of, out of Colorado, and he did this voluntarily. So thank you, Russ. And Todd Cecilio, again, wrote the theme song, and uh, uh, he, again, did it without uh, – uh, without uh, reservation and, and just simply said, here you go. And I didn't ask him for it. He just said, here. He jumped on board and um, volunteered. And I have to t- thank also Jen Shear for, for designing the logo. So, um, again, there were a lot of talented people that helped us along the way, so thanks. Truly, the number of people that went into such a small little podcast that became something so big is <laughs> – it's crazy how we started off with something so small, and yet so many people have had their input into it. And because of that, we've had such huge success interviewing astronauts, interviewing major members of the media, interviewing specialists in their fields from everything from uh, space debris to near-Earth objects. It's been spectacular, and we can't thank everybody enough. Now what do we do for an encore, sir? <laughs> I've got one great suggestion. Another year. Let's do it. Can't and wait. I know I just heard some people scream. No! 
<laughs> like that Darth Vader scream. <laughs> but uh, again, I'm I'm looking forward to the next year. There's going to be a lot to talk about, and uh, um, I I can't wait. We've already got a, a good lineup of individuals for the for the remainder of the year to come on and uh, and talk to us. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it very very much, and we'll just see what the the years come bring. But uh, again, I couldn't think of a better group of people to do this with. Well, yeah, we got more guests coming on and more surprises for you, but that's not for now. For right now, what we need to do is wrap this episode up. So I'd like to thank everybody yep. who joined us today, which includes Gene McCulka. Thank you, Gene. Sawyer, it's been fun. Um, can't wait to, to the, hear about a whole bunch of other things that, that are coming up pretty soon. But again, thanks. And again, thank you to everybody that has helped us along the way. I appreciate it. Thank you as well, Mark Ratterman. Hopefully I did better than this when I was two, but bye-bye. and of course again even though they're not here at the moment we need to thank Gina Hurley the fourth member of our show we need to thank Jen Shear for her website which ended up getting us started Todd Cecilio for not only writing but performing the music Russ Dale for all of our announcements that we have and of course you the listener so with that I'd like to thank you for listening and as always Have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are.